I'm going to tell you a story. Um, and I'll tell you how I got to I'll tell you a story about how I got to the story. Mike and I were coming back from Vietnam where we were smuggling children's Sunday school material into Vietnam. And on the way back, we somehow got landed in the um, Philippines airport and we were ca catching a, a PAL flight out, plane always late. And so um, I thought, what am I going to do? I need something to read. So I went to the kiosk and they've got one of those revolving book um, stands. And I don't read fiction. I never have. So I've watched plenty of it, though. Um, so I thought I'm not going to find anything here. But on the shelf was this book, Larry Christensen, The Renewed Mind. And it has been such a blessing to me, this book. I read it all the time. And it's been 25, 26 years since we were there. So I'd like to tell you the story. And if I tell you the story without reading it, it's not going to be the same because of the way that it's been written. So I'm going to tell you a parable about the salvation sedan. There was a young man named Sinner. He once received from his father a beautiful bright red salvation sedan. It was sparkling new and it delighted the young man's heart the more so because it was a gift. I did nothing whatever to earn it, the young man exulted. He just gave it to me. Why? I couldn't have saved enough money to buy a car like this if I'd worked for years and years. It was a gift, a sheer gift. Indeed, so delighted was he with his new car, red car that he changed his own name to be more like it, from sinner to saved. He polished his car every day. He took pictures of it and sent it to his friends and relatives. And he looked it over from front to back. He even crawled underneath to admire its excellent workmanship. He never tired of telling those who came along. My father gave it to me, a free gift. Some days later, the young man was seen out on the highway, pushing his bright red car. A slender man came up, introduced himself as Mr Helper and asked if he might be of any assistance. Oh, thank you, the young man said, panting a little. I'm doing just fine. I had a, t a little trouble at first because the bumper kept cutting into my hands, especially on the hills. But then a man helped me, a wonderful man, a specialist on car bodies. He showed me how you can mount a little rubber cushion right here under the underside of the bumper and even then you can push it for hours and hours without a blister. Mr Helper nodded. Yes, I can see those rubber cushions would be a help. And I've been trying out something new, which I've heard that they use in England, the young man continued with some enthusiasm. You put your back against the car, flex your knees, and then lift at a 45-degree angle. It works like a charm, especially on muddy roads. Yes, Mr Helper agreed. I can see how this would help, would give you more leverage. That's it, the leverage, that does it. And then too, it's a good change, sort of a relaxation from straight ahead pushing. Have you pushed the car quite a ways, Mr Helper asked. Oh yes, more than 200 miles since I got it, the young man said proudly. It's a beautiful car, Mr Helper admitted. The young man's eyes lit up. It was a gift, you know. 
My father gave it to me. Mr Helper nodded without speaking. He walked around the car, looked in the windows. After a time he said, It must be quite tiring pushing a car like this. Yes, it is, the young man admitted with a manly sigh, but then it's a wonderful thing to get tired for, isn't it? A free gift from my father. The least I can do is push it. Some of the enthusiasm had drained from his voice, but he still managed to smile. Mr Helper opened the right side of the bright red car and said, won't you get in and sit down? The young man drew back uncertainly. He glanced into the car. It seemed a little well, a little presumptuous for a person to get inside the car. He knew that there wasn't inside, but certainly you would never get anywhere if you used it. Yes, yet after a moment's hesitation, he decided that perhaps it would be all right to just slide in and sit down. He had stopped to rest anyway and nothing really depended on it. He slid into the seat, holding himself erect, not quite daring to relax against the backrest. Mr Helper walked around, opened the other door and slid in behind the steering wheel. He touched the starter button and moments later they were speeding down the highway at 80 kilometres an hour. The young man was quite breathtaking. He found the ride pleasant, even a bit exciting, but it seemed unorthodox somehow. He knew that you must have a red salvation sedan to be admitted through the gate at the end of the highway, but getting it there, well, that was his responsibility, wasn't it? It would be fair to say that this parable portrays the state of a good many Christians. That would be fair, I think. They get the issue of justification that it's a free gift, all of grace, But sanctification, which is that inner transformation which gradually takes place, is still being carried on by self-effort. We've been taught that the Holy Spirit works in us, but our deep inward reliance is still too much on what we must do to become holy, what we must do to build the kingdom. We're pushing the car by our own efforts. The fact that Jesus is dwelling in us is sometimes a little more than a mental concept. It's just another name for conscious, conscience, telling us when and where and how fast to push the car. But Christ doesn't indwell us in order to play the part of a conscience, to be on hand, so to speak, to tell us what to do. He indwells us in order that he himself might do in us and through us the Father's will. Sanctification is not a matter of doing God's will by our own efforts, but of the life of Christ, which dwells within us, being released to do God's will. Well, how's this done? By faith. In Colossians 2 verse 6, Paul says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. As surely as we are saved by faith, we are sanctified by faith. As surely as salvation is solely the work of Christ, so just sanctification is solely the work of Christ. What a release, what a joy. As soon as we give up trying to sanctify ourselves and we trust him to do the work of sanctification in us, that's when the indwelling life of Christ is released within us. As a condemned sinner, we came to Jesus and said, 
Lord, I confess my sin and my utter inability to cleanse myself from guilt. Wash me in your blood and reconcile me to the Father. And he did it. Simply because you gave up trying to justify yourself and trusted him to do it for you. He saved you. And now, as a child of God, reconciled to the Father by the blood of Jesus, you come to Jesus and say, Lord, you know how weak I am, how unlike you, how lacking in grace, how quick to criticise someone else, how slow to recognise the fault in myself. Make me like yourself. And he does it. As soon as you try giving up to up trying to sanctify yourself and trust him to do the work of sanctification in you, then his indwelling life is released in us. But you may say to me, well, the Bible says in Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may ask, isn't this something we have to do ourselves? The goal of a renewed mind is a transformed life. How then does this transformation happen? In order to answer this, let's go on a bit of a journey. Let's start with a question or two. Have you ever tried to break a bad habit? You set your mind to it, you put your will to the maximum setting, and you think you've just about got it leaked. But then there it is again. Have you had thoughts and ideas in your mind that makes you want to cringe? You don't want those thoughts, but the more you fight them, the stronger they seem to, to come. Have you ever thought you'd be beginning to make some real progress in your Christian life when suddenly a situation comes up that creates hostilities within you that you didn't even know you were capable of? Experiences like this have a common denominator. They speak of the gap which exists between what we are and what we want to be. You might call it a holiness gap. In Galatians 5 verse 16, the Apostle Paul offers some practical down-to-earth advice about this holiness gap. It's a teaching that can breathe new life into, in, in, inside, into you, a sense of expectancy, a sense of joy, and above all, this fresh anticipation of victory. It's a great truth for those who want to step into victory, tired of leading, leading defeated lives in areas. So Paul says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There's a battle going on. It's a battle between the flesh and the Spirit. In movie jargon, it's the bad guy versus the good guy. The bad guy and the good guy in us. Martin Luther, I love Martin Luther, he once made a comment on this text. He wrote, there are two captains in you, the spirit and the flesh. The spirit fights against the flesh and the flesh fights against the spirit. And then Luther told his parishioners, I require nothing else of you but that you follow the spirit as your captain and resist that captain the flesh for that is all you are able to do. The last phrase in Luther's comments points to something which we can easily overlook. In the battle between the flesh and the spirit, it is important to know what is expected of us. But it's equally important to know what is not expected of us. 
Philippians 2 verse 12 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This speaks of something that we are to do. But the next verse says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That speaks of something we cannot do. God must do it. Christian growth is a cooperative work between the believer and God. Attempting to do what is not our part is as great a mistake as neglecting to do what is our part. One of the enemy's ploys, he stirs us up into doing what's not required of us, which in fact is impossible for us. And so thereby he discourages us from us trying to do anything, even the things that are expected of us and are possible. It's a nasty piece of work. It's the way he, he attacks us. What then is our part? And what is God's part in this cooperative venture? Well, there's two passages of scripture that flow that throw further light on this subject. Psalm 51, verse 6 to 12 says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Fill me with joy and gladness. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here's the question. Who acts in these verses and who is acted upon? Who brings truth in the inward part, in the secret heart? It is God. It is God who teaches, purges, washes, fills, creates, restores and upholds. Whatever change takes place deep within the heart is the work of God. Now look, let's look at the other verse, Colossians 3 verse 12 to 14. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, or other versions say, or put on, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So who acts in these verses? Who puts on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love? It's the believer. The outward visible work of putting on is the work of the believer. So there's kind of a division of labour in the work of sanctification. The believer puts on the outward form of Christ but God works the inward change in the heart. To help understand this better, think of wooden forms that a carpenter builds before cement is going to be poured. These forms describe the shape the cement will take. When the cement hardens, they'll be thrown away and only the cement remains. The forms serve a temporary function whereas the cement remains. 
The believer does not himself work patience, kindness or love into himself. He simply constructs the outward form into which God pours this enduring work of holiness. We'll need to use an illustration to better understand this point. Suppose a woman has a neighbour who tries her patience. She struggles to restrain, restrain her impatience. She keeps a lid on her impatience as best as she can. But all the while she feels guilty. She feels, oh, I'm so impatient. I just have to be more patient. She keeps telling herself, but without success. She seems totally incapable of changing herself. And indeed she is. Impatience is an attitude of the heart and only God can change it. Now she comes to see the truth of what we're considering. She realises she's not expected to put on, to, she's not expected to change impatience to patience. She is simply expected to put on patience. She is to build the form which describes the outer shape of patience. So, she goes to her spiritual carpentry shop and select some appropriate boards to build her form. The first one has listening on it. This is her first form, listening. She'll begin to listen to that irritating neighbour. True enough, the neighbour never listens to her, but that's not the point. She's not looking for any particular return from the neighbour. She's constructing a form into which God can pour his patience and listening is one side of it. Hear that neighbour out. Get to know her a little better. Don't worry about how impatient you feel while you're listening. When the form is completed and God pours his patience, the impatience will be displaced as surely as cement displaces air when it's poured into the empty form. That's our number one board. She could use another board, and that one has prayer. Prayer. Thank you. Prayer. That would be another good board in constructing this form of patience. You've never prayed for that neighbour before, so you begin to ask God's blessing on her and her family. Here's another board that fits the, the form very well. It's a thoughtful deed. I, never, I know she never volunteers to do anything for you. It doesn't matter. The board of a thoughtful deed will help create the kind of form that God can use. So you offer to take care of her kids while she goes out shopping or perhaps bake her a cake or bring her a little gift. Now, there's another board lying in the corner. It's the kind comment board. Oh, you're not the only one whom this neighbour irritates. Get any group in the neighbourhood together and they'll be gossiping about her, slurring remarks, the way she yells at her husband, the way she brings up her kids, so into this conversation, you drop a kind comment, something true, something praiseworthy. Everybody has good points. 
And now your form is complete, except for one thing. It isn't nailed together. You might have just the right boards, but if you don't nail them together, the cement will go running out and all the work of selecting the boards will be wasted. The nails that hold this spiritual form together are called faith. We have faith to build this form. Faith does a good job. I've been married to Faith for 35 years today. (laughs) No pressure. He's good at this. So faith. Faith is, is what will hold the spiritual form together. Faith does a good job. <laughs> what was that mumbling? <laughs> okay. One little bit more of faith. Thank you, Faith. So now we have our board. Listening, prayer, thoughtful deed. And a kind comment. But faith in what, you might ask? Faith that the form is going to be used. In our illustration, faith that the man with the cement is going to follow and pour his cement into the form that we have built. Can you imagine a carpenter who builds forms all day long, but the man with the cement never rolls up? Day in and day out, he builds forms, but they never get filled with cement. What pointless work. Pointless also is the one who puts on on the form of patience, love or kindness without the certain faith that God is going to use that form to do a work in the heart. This whole work of sanctification depends upon faith. Faith that when we construct the outward form, God will fill it with his divine cement. The form we construct... The patience we put on will never be as beautiful or as true or as strong as the real thing. It's not intended to be. It's simply our active expression of faith that God will form in us a patience which is beautiful, true and real. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in Galatians 5 verse 16 when he says, Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, do not allow that outward expression. The flesh stirs up a desire in you to strike out and hurt someone who has crossed your path. The first does not say, now, you shouldn't feel that way. That's a terrible way for a Christian to feel. It simply says, do not gratify that desire. 
Do not let that sarcastic word cross your lips. Don't carry out that plan which would cause the hurt to the other person. Do not gratify. As you build this outward form of not gratifying flesh in faith that God will fill it, God takes the responsibility for replacing that desire of the flesh with the fruits of the spirit. A simple and blessed cooperation. We do the outward work, the temporary work, and God does the inward work and the lasting work. And what remains when all is done is God's workmanship. Sanctification is truly a work of grace. You've had a part in it. Our faith has constructed a form which can receive a gracious work. This then is the secret of sanctification, to construct the outward forms of holiness with expectant faith that God will fill them. But you may have thought, doesn't that make us hypocrites? If we say a kind word or do something thoughtful when we feel just the opposite, doesn't that make us hypocrites? No, it does not. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something he or she is not. We don't kid ourselves. We're absolutely honest before God. We tell the Lord, Lord, you know I don't have a speck of patience with that person. But a Lord, I believe, I believe that when I construct the outward form of patience, you will faithfully fill that form with patience that is truly divine. If you were not to do that, all my putting on would be wasted. It wouldn't create in me one iota of real patience. But Lord, I trust you. I know that you will fill this outward form with the content of true patience. You will work in me that which is pleasing in your sight. These outward forms are built unto the Lord, not unto other people. So long as we clearly recognise and confess that these outward forms are merely occasions or containers for God to do his enduring work in our hearts, there's no danger of hypocrisy. And what a load is lifted off our shoulders when we grasp this simple truth. No longer are we caught up in the hopeless task of trying to bash our heart into submission to our will. The whole inner work in the heart is turned completely over to God. We simply construct the outward forms of holiness and let the heart be shaped according to his will by his spirit. For the heart will not and cannot submit to our will. The heart can only be changed by the Holy Spirit. We do not need to be enslaved to how we feel or to what we want at any given moment. We do not walk by feelings or wants. We walk by faith. We believe that as we conform our lives to the will of God in all outward things to the very best of our ability, he will gradually conform our feelings and wants to coincide with Christ's feelings and his wants. We don't suppress our feelings. We simply control their outward expression while referring the feelings themselves to God. Do you know, it's even, I think, it's even possible to look upon the desires of the flesh with sort of a certain detached calm. For we believe that the divine cement of the spirit will quietly and effectually displace that desire of the flesh. 
in God's time. We may be a day, we may be a month, we may be a year or even more. It doesn't matter. Because as we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 and 24, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Released from the slavery to how we feel, we are free to fulfil God's plan for our lives. God has programmed a plan of sanctification for every believer. He has a whole series of blueprints that he's got for us in sequence. And as we live close to him, he will show us each blueprint. As we're ready to go on to the next, he will show us the next blueprint, the next form of holiness which he sets out before us. And so then what happens is that scripture in Ephesians 2 verse 10 will become our personal experience for victory. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A good work is not something which we do for God, but it is something which God has created beforehand for us. And a good work functions as a catalyst to further release the life of Christ and conform us to his image. God's ultimate concern in regard to a good work is not what we do, but what the work does in us. A good work contributes to the kingdom only as it becomes an event which releases more of the life of Christ within us. So there's the final note. I love this. This is the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to us as people that we stop longing for the kingdom of God, stop struggling to gain it or build it. It's already ours. The glory of the kingdom of God has been summed up in Christ and Christ is in you. Colossians 1 verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. My prayer is that we will all take home the truth of what we have considered this morning. May we never browbeat our hearts again in submission to our own will. Help us to do the part you ask us to do and trust you for the inward change in our hearts. Help us to be aware of the promptings of your spirit as you show us the blueprints for our lives. We thank you that our sanctification is just as sure as our justification. Your plans for our lives are truly wonderful. Thank you, Lord Jesus. While I was preparing this message um, during the week, there was something constantly going around my head. And I think it's a word that God has for some of you. I thought it was too... I felt the Lord say two to three, and I thought, well, what is it, two or three? And I think that it's because I figured out that one one person already knows this, has already got the gist of this, and the other two are probably not aware of it. And that is that sometimes we so tell ourselves that we can't move forward in the things of God because we're not good enough. 
we do the wrong things or we haven't grown enough. And this morning when I woke up, I felt the Lord say, it's why some people don't attend home groups because they just feel that they don't fit in. They're not good enough. But that's not true. That's the enemy telling you or peeing down your leg and telling you it's raining. Don't listen to him. It's not true. You are wonderful. You are loved. You can move forward and do the things that God has for you. Don't worry that you're not good enough. And my daughter Sarah sent me this video clip a few years ago. And I listened to it. I was in Bali at the time. I listened to it every day for a long, long time. And it just spoke to me how much God loves us as we are. And it doesn't matter if we come from a life of struggles. We might even be a little bit crazy, like me. I am a little bit crazy. I'm not your average twining's tea. But God loves us and he uses us. So as we listen to this, if there are some of you who feel that you're not moving forward in God because you don't feel you're good enough, come and speak to one of the prayer team afterwards. And I hope you enjoyed this. And the ones for who it's speaking to, please come out and let's, let's bless you with some prayer.
With gates open wide And there's a seat at the table Just waiting for you So come on inside Amazing words, and trust that the Lord's been uh, speaking to you. I know He's been speaking to me. I think we're very good at at this um, outward form, and if we're honest, uh, we all try to look a particular way and do certain things. But I'm really believing that so often it's the inside that's not right. And that's only a work that God can do. I can't say any words. Nothing can be done. It's only the Spirit of God that can actually come and do a work in our hearts. And I'm praying that that even be possible right now. You're going to have a new nickname, Faith, I think. <laughs> I often said the opposite of faith isn't fear, but it's control. I think sometimes we try and hold on to things and control things in our life. Maybe the Lord this morning is asking us to give up control, to let go, to actually open up our hearts and ask Him to pour the cement in and do a work in us. My friend Kathy has written a song based on Romans, the passage of renewing our minds. I'm going to get her to play it and I'm going to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit who is here and active would actually come and minister to us would actually do a new thing in our hearts today so as as she sings uh, may it be a prayer to you you might want to sit where you are you might want to stand you might want to do something you've never done and that is to simply raise your hands an act of opening yourself up. God, I offer myself to you. I want you to do a work in me. So listen to these words. And Holy Spirit, we just pray right now that you would come and that you would have your way in this place. Lord, help us to be honest before you. Help us to open up our hearts. Help us not to just build things and never be filled. Build things in the hope that we might push our car up the hill. But Lord, this morning, would you come and do a work in us? Would your spirit, like living waters from your throne, come and flow and do a work in us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Transform my life. 
prayer this morning that I think it says in Romans 5 that the love of God be poured in our spirit in our hearts that the love of God be poured in our hearts today pray this in Jesus name Amen that's going to conclude our service this morning but I don't want to just leave it there um I'm going to ask the team to sing a song that we've planned to do. Uh, and if you need to go, you can go. But if you just want to just remain uh, in a sense of 
what God's doing in you. And if you want to come and speak and pray with someone, really encourage you to do that. Um, because, yeah, we've, we've got time. We've got space. We don't have to just stop because of the time. We're going to finish, though. If you do want to head out, you can. But may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace all of your days. Amen.